Good morning. It is uh, 11.07. Glad to have you with us. Before I get into the uh, this uh, rather uh, horrible cold this MSNBC host <laughs> has uh, had to deal with, I, I want to talk to you for a moment about uh, endorsements. Um, from time to time, you'll hear me say something like, Hi, it's Gary Nolan for some company. Um, what I want you to know is that I don't endorse anybody unless I absolutely know that they do a great job, provide a great service. Uh, I've been known to pay people to go in because, uh, you know, my voice, uh, I'm, I'm easily recognized uh, to, to give me a report and tell me what the company was like. Uh, there's nobody, um, there's not, a, there's not a, a single endorsement that is, you know, where I haven't gone into that place and been surprised and impressed by the service or the product. Uh, I know that uh, I've, I've heard other talents in other places uh, that would, uh, they would endorse a pile of poo if somebody would give them a check. I won't do that. Uh, the sales department has been very kind to me. They don't get upset when I tell them no. Uh, but know that when you hear an endorsement, it's not just somebody giving me a check to say they're good. It's because I've done my homework and I pay attention to responses I get from listeners. Uh, I suspect that's why they work as well as they do, because I'm very, very careful about who I endorse. Um, so I just wanted to get that out of the way because you, you'll hear these endorsements and think, well, is he just getting paid to say that? No, I make sure that they're they are a good value. Otherwise, um, you can't pay me enough to do that. So with that in mind, I'm going to move on uh, because uh, we have um, a woman who has caught a very strange cold and has an interesting story. Uh, it's Yasmin uh, Vazdian, uh, I guess uh, that's how you pronounce her last name. She uh, works at uh, MSNBC. And the result of her cold, it, it just... It, I've. What a strange cold. December 20th, I began to feel chest pains and they waxed and waned over a period of 10 days. I wasn't quite sure uh, what to make of it, but as they continued to get worse, I started to think something was actually wrong. Um, it was December 30th when I finally went to an urgent care and was told I had reflux. I didn't really buy it, but I was relieved it wasn't my heart. Uh, my body, though, was pretty certain uh, not to believe uh, the reflux. The next day, on December 30th, I woke up with severe pains both in my chest and in my left shoulder, and it was like a tightening in my chest when I took deep breaths. That got worse when I was laying flat. I knew enough at that moment to understand that it could mean, could is the key word here, that I was having a heart attack, especially because it was happening in the left part of my shoulder. I want to remind you, I run seven miles three to four times a week, or I did. Um, I do yoga. I don't eat meat. I don't smoke. I drink occasionally. Not right now, though, because my doctor tells me I can't. Aside from probably not getting enough sleep and working too much, I'm a pretty healthy person. But on that day, I was anything but. My husband drove me to the emergency room, and from there, the nightmare that has been my January began. I was diagnosed with pericarditis, inflammation of the lining of my heart, brought on by a virus, a literal common cold. I also had fluid around my heart that had to be drained or else it could hinder the beating of my heart. I was hospitalized for four nights and transferred from a local hospital to NYU Langone here in New York City. 
On January 4th, I was finally discharged after doctors drained the fluid around my heart and I bounced out of the hospital. I couldn't get out of there fast enough with the hopes I was on the mend. But that was not the end. Three days later, I was readmitted when I felt a flutter in my heart, like a butterfly. It was inside my chest. They determined I had developed myocarditis, inflammation of the actual heart now, the heart muscle. I remember being shepherded through the emergency room and wondering, is this it? It wasn't, thank God. Instead, I spent five more days in the hospital where they ran a battery of tests, adjusted my meds, and made sure nothing else was fueling what was happening. And in fact, in the end, it was still just the cold that was doing all of this, that had caused all of this inflammation in and around my heart. Just a cold. You know, it, it just, it has a familiar ring to it. I, I, I remember other young people were suffering from myocarditis. And um, it wasn't just a cold. In fact, I don't remember her saying she had a cold. Maybe she did. But it was usually people, young people who were vaccinated. I, I, I have no way of knowing if, if it was really a cold. Do, do, you, do you ever remember anybody having that happen from just a cold, Brian? I don't, no. It's, and you've uh, had a few colds yourself. Right? I have, yeah. Yeah. Suddenly myocarditis seems... I mean, that would be concerning to have this tightening of the chest. And, you know, immediately I thought, oh, it's pneumonia. You know, when your lungs fill with fluid, it's you start getting that feeling. But she had a totally different condition according to the way she described it. And I've never heard a cold causing that type of symptoms. I, I, imagine I have no idea. I imagine it's possible, but I've never heard of it either. Um, I've heard of suddenly people dying of heart attacks and people developing myocarditis, young people as a rule. Uh, but uh, I don't know of a lot of people who catch a cold and get that. No, it's entirely possible, but I, I, I'd be willing to bet dollars to donuts it's not. Uh, interesting piece, uh, Sally Pipes writing for Forbes magazine. Uh, she, uh, writes, um, health policy, uh, for, uh, Pacific Research Institute. I've had them on, uh, several programs. They're really, really good. They're a libertarian organization. And, uh, she wrote in one of her columns about Canada's healthcare system, uh, that it was no model for the United States. And... You know, the left wants single-payer. Oh, my God, they want single-payer. Uh, they've been pushing for it since the 1930s. Uh, they've practically got it now. Uh, but there is stubbornly a part of the free market that exists. Not much, but a part of it that exists. Uh, and it's, you know, it is their burning desire to crush it. They want, for some reason... They want no one to have to pay for their own health care or to arrange for their own health care payments. And they keep telling us about Great Britain and Canada. Oh, those lucky Canadians. They have got such a great system. Well, not according to Ontario Premier uh, Doug Ford. He announced that Canada's largest province would take a page from the United States playbook. 
I'll tell you what he said next on The Gary Nolan Show. It's the Zimmer Radio Network. It's uh, 18 minutes after 11. Uh, what is the price sent me? You can send me a message. You can go to GaryNolan.com, send me a message. It'll pop up in studio and uh, no cookies. Uh, we don't keep track. You just it, send me a message. You don't even have to join or sign up. Uh, Price said, uh, you should be happy that Brian Hansen thinks you lost that debate on minimum wage. That means he'll probably be rooting for the Browns in the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, those are two terms that I don't think will ever mix in my lifetime. Browns and Super Bowl. I, I don't see it happening. But who knows, maybe next year. Anyway, uh, we're talking about uh, this uh, this piece in Forbes from the Pacific Legal Foundation about uh, sim- single-payer health care. Uh, and apparently the uh, Ontario Premier is a guy named Doug Ford, and he announced that Canada's largest province is going to actually take a page from the U.S. playbook and expand private care in order to provide some relief for millions of Canadians waiting for treatment. Uh, Ford recounted that a CEO had told him there's only two places in the world that have the health care that we do. Cuba and North Korea. We need to improve, Ford said. So we're making the changes with the support of CEOs and with the associations. His push to expand private care is a necessary step out of the socialist wilderness. More importantly, it signals a shift in the popular consciousness How can progressive Americans advocate for Medicare for all with a straight face when their beau ideal Canada is going in the opposite direction? The Ontario Premier has proposed a three-step plan to provide care to over 200,000 patients currently stuck in line for treatment. First, the province will reroute 14,000 cataract surgeries to new private health care facilities in three Ontario cities. Last year, patients in Ontario faced a median wait of 20 weeks to undergo cataract removal after being referred by a general practitioner, according to the Fraser Institute of Vancouver-based think tank. Ontario will invest $18 million in the province's private health care centers to fund gynecological and ophthalmic surgeries, as well as a variety of other diagnostic tests. I could go on and on, but here's the point. That much-vaunted socialist dream of single-payer health care that the Canadians have enjoyed for years is killing them. And they're trying desperately to find a solution. And their solution is a free market. So why are Americans trying to give us more socialist health care what has clearly failed everywhere else. I know why. Why? Because we would do it the right way. Oh, that's yeah. right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Socialism sucks everywhere, but that's because socialists have put it together. Right. Yeah. And if we just have Americans put it together, then the socialism will work. Yeah. yeah. No. I was just noticing the other day how many people are going into Canada to get there medical treatments and such. I mean, we are just breaking down their border to get there. There must be at least a bicycle full of people <laughs> uh, going in that direction. 
No, the Canadians are coming here, and there's reason. And if we had a real free market in health care, a lot of people don't understand the extent to which the government has, has insinuated itself, including giving your employer the task of providing your health insurance, something that's been going on since uh, the Roosevelt administration. The government should have nothing to do with health care at all. Uh, and then uh, the private marketplace would decide the efficacy of new drugs. And you would buy your own insurance. And you could decide just how much insurance you need or want. Private charity could help for the, with the indigent. And the cost of health care would plummet. Honestly, it would plummet. Right now, because the, it, literally it's Medicare and Medicaid that dictate what the private marketplace can charge and can do when it comes to health care. And they are so stupid, it, it, it befuddles me. My wife has worked with Medicare patients, and I think I talked about this a week or two ago. Suppose you've got a clinic, and you treat people like my wife uh, treats people. She, she's a, a clinical speech pathologist. And somebody comes in, and you charge a fee, and you, you provide the service. And you get a Medicare patient that comes in, and Medicare will cut you off. They'll say, well, you're not making enough progress at the right you know, for speed for us. We think you're done. So you've got this clinic, and you say... You know what? I can afford to help you out. Just keep coming to the clinic. We won't charge you anything. She's not allowed by law to do that. She's not allowed to treat patients for free because she charges some. She has to charge them all. So if you're on Medicare and they've cut you off, and you've got a therapist that's willing to help, it's against the law. Why on earth would Medicare d- d- try to discourage giving senior citizens free health care? I mean, what, what, what is the logic in that? You know, you know what, Brian? Um, when Randy is on tonight, could you talk to him about this? I can, yeah. Randy Tobler, uh, if anybody knows the medical profession, it's Randy. And he'll be on at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Why can't you treat someone for free? You would think they would encourage you. You'd think they'd be happy about that. Look, it's money we don't have to spend. But but literally, it is the government that is screwing the pooch when it comes to health care. Critics, including unions who represent Medicare employees, say that Ford's plan, this guy up in Canada, will actually increase wait times and lead to worse outcomes for patients. The attitude is coming among defenders of Canada's health care system. They claim that allowing private care will create a two-tiered system. When they were creating their health care system, the Brits who have a two-tier said, don't do that. You, you don't want to do that. That'll make, because there'll be inevitable comparisons. Uh, and they said that uh, the two-tiered system 
Uh, wealthy will pay to escape the queues, leaving the truly needy stuck waiting for care. But that system already exists in Canada. Canadians routinely leave the country to get medical care that their public system can't or won't provide in a timely fashion. Canadians spent $690 million on health care in other countries in 2017 alone. Many of those people are rich, famous, powerful people who have the means to escape. Newfoundland's premier back in 2010, uh, Danny Williams, flew to the United States for heart surgery. This was my heart, my choice, my brain, he said. I did not sign away my right to get the best possible health care for myself when I entered politics. Michael Buble, he's a Canadian. He decamped from Vancouver to Los Angeles in 2016 when his son was diagnosed with liver cancer. It's, it's pathetic. How did we get Dr. Randy? To, how did we get Randy on so quickly? What, he must have been listening to the show. I told him that uh, we charge a fine a for not listening. And yeah. yeah, so he never misses a single show ever. I never do. No, right. it's uh, the, the Gary Nolan show is my favorite show. And it would and 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 that's all because of Brian Hansen. No, I'm just kidding. There. <laughs> See, that's the reason I don't listen to you because it's Brian Hansen. I guess we're on the other side of the coin. Randy, no, you I love the show, man. I've got my I've got my stocking cap on with the Bluetooth in the ears, man. It doesn't get better than this. It's super good. I'm out for a walk. What can I help you with? Well, I was talking about uh, Medicare uh, and how yeah. my wife treats patients, and when Medicare says. Uh, you know, you're not progressing fast enough. We're going to cut you off. If my wife wants to keep treating that patient for free, it's against the law. If yeah. you charge, well, she has to give. Yeah, she has to give. Whenever you provide a, a a benefit that you anticipate is not going to be covered by Medicare, and that's you know, sort of one of those guessing games where we have some guidelines. Then you have to give the patient what's called an advanced uh, beneficiary notice, an ABN. And then, then and only then can you bill the patient for things that otherwise would be covered but have been denied by Medicare. But she can't legally provide the service for free. For free. She can't uh, provide I, the service for free. If you, charge, if you don't charge anybody, then they can come in and get, yeah. get service for yeah. free. Yeah, so that you, she can, but she... <laughs> it's crazy. She can, but she has to go through a... She has to go through a vetting process to prove that the patient is in need and can't pay for it. <laughs> I mean, is that not insane? Uh, that's that's called uh, let's take off the shackles and let's be free people to do as we please to treat one another as we'd like. Yeah, let's take yeah. off the shackles. You're right. right. I'm I'm coming up against the clock here, but you're going to be on at four o'clock, and yep. I'm betting that listeners are waiting with bated breath. If you look, they have minnows on their tongue, uh, and they want to know what's coming up. Yeah, well, we're going to be talking with Zach Smith from Heritage about uh, the subcommittee weaponization and how they have given the supermajority to the Dem Democrats on that committee by a mistake. Yes. And uh, what's going on with the, D the FBI's inspecting Biden's other house. So we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know, what's really interesting about this is that the archives went after Trump for the, to, to get documents. How come they didn't go after Biden after all those years? Nobody ever came after him.
peculiar. No, he doesn't wear he doesn't wear t-shirts with elephants on them. That's why. <laughs> Randy Tobler, four o'clock. Thanks, Randy. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. Good news for our friends in Illinois. It's thirty-five minutes after the hour. Um, uh, uh, January tenth, Governor Pritzker signed a a gun control law, uh, and it would. Uh, ban the sale of, of assault weapons. It's, that's what they call them. Semi-automatic rifles is what they really are. Uh, the sale and distribution of semi-automatic rifles uh, and magazines that hold more rounds than apparently the uh, legislature wants them to. Uh, and uh, the law went into effect right after the governor signed it. Well, in Effingham County, uh, Judge Morrison issued a temporary restraining order against the law. That was on uh, January 24th, and that prevented it from being enforced. His ruling uh, came in response to a lawsuit from uh, some gun merchants and uh, about 800-plus people who argued that the law was improper and didn't have proper public input, uh, violated state and U.S. Constitution's Equal Protection Clause, uh, and it didn't have any exemptions for some groups of people based on their occupation or training. And so, uh, well, obviously the Democrats weren't happy with that. So uh, this Judge Morrison in his ruling said the plaintiffs are uh, being immediately and irreparably harmed each day with their fundamental right to bear arms being denied and Kind of stopped the law dead in its tracks. After an appeal from the uh, Illinois General, uh, the uh, 5th District Appellate Court ruled on Tuesday in a 2-to-1 decision that the temporary restraining order can stay in place. And it also extends it statewide. Uh, the uh, previous uh, restraining order just applied to the plaintiffs. Uh, so the ruling states that the plaintiffs had a likelihood of success on the merits in regard to their argument that the law violates the state and U.S. Constitution Equal Protection Clause. Look, ever since this last decision on guns at the Supreme Court level, blue states have been working overtime to try to find a way to circumvent what is clearly your constitutional right to own and bear arms. The, Illinois is facing um, other lawsuits, too, about the law, including one from the National Rifle Association. Uh, the, the NRA, uh, their Institute for Legislative Action, uh, says the law is unconstitutional, and it is. But blue states are desperate. They are looking, I mean, every which way, trying to, from New York to Washington State to Illinois, they're all, and Hawaii, I mean, every California, they're all trying to find a way around this. Simple, plain truth. The founding fathers wanted you to have a gun. They wanted you to have access to a firearm. And they didn't want you to have to get permission from the government to get that gun. And they did this because they just fought a revolutionary war with Great Britain and had to struggle to arm themselves. And they also knew that government, you know, left, uh, left uh, you know, uh, over the years would grow. 
until it became tyrannical. And they wanted us to have the weapons that we needed to take back our country. That's why Biden is wrong when he talks about cannons. Yeah, you could own a cannon. You could own a warship. Today, you should be able to own an F-16 or an F-18. You should be able to own anything that the military owns. I could just hear the left right now. Oh, you don't want to leave nuclear weapons in the hands of the everyday person. Please. It's the, it's the right to own and bear arms. And you have it. And there is a reason you have it. It is so that you can send a message to the government. See, the problem is that the hubris of politicians is they think they're elected to rule you. But they're not. You're their boss. You're supposed to rule them. And when this gets flipped around, as I believe it has, that's when the Founding Fathers expected, you know, there could be violence here. They could, they could try to overturn and take back their country. And they shouldn't have to go hat in hand to the government and ask permission for the weaponry to do that. Democrats and Biden are wrong. And they know that gun control does not stop gun violence or violence, period. So there is another reason they want you disarmed. And it isn't to protect your fellow man. It is because it is their plan to steamroll over you. And they don't want you to have access to the weapons that it would take to stop them. Somewhere down the road, and I know some of you are thinking, oh, Gary's wearing a tinfoil hat, but somewhere down the road, they will be trying to put you in an education camp if you don't agree with them. They will try to lock you up if you don't agree with them. If you don't play the game the way they want you to play the game, they are going to punish you. It's the nature of big government. And they don't want you to be able to fight. Just, just like the Ku Klux Klan didn't want blacks to be able to defend themselves when they were out there looking for someone to hang. You know, they started off doing that, but blacks had access to guns, and they were defending themselves, shooting Klan members. So they invented gun control. That was the impetus. 874-9390, toll-free, 800-529-5572. Or GaryNolan.com, you want to send a message. Chris, welcome. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Maybe that should be our slogan. Gun control is racist. And, you know, we'd actually be right because they call everything racist, but yes. that's what it was. Yeah. And talking about, you know, what they did back then. And, and what was the King England doing? Well, he didn't like it, the fact that people started making guns and they might have an uprising, so they came to take the guns, and that's pretty much what sparked off the Revolutionary War. It's It's pretty plain to understand I was recently reading, and, you know, there's been at least a couple of uh, Supreme Court cases, 1800s, 1900s, that specifically said the purpose of the Second Amendment was for people to own military-grade firearms, not just guns. Okay, it's, it's precedent, and they seem to keep forgetting that. And the interesting factoid I came up with, you know, the, uh, what was it, 34, the NFA, where they did all the machine guns, short barrel rifles, yeah, and all yeah. that. Originally, it said 18-inch barreled rifles or shorter were illegal, and that's the way it was up to about 1960. 
And they changed the law in 1960 to 16 inches. You know why? The M1 carbine. All the M1 carbines had 16-inch barrels. And they were starting to release them to the public. People were going to have M1 carbines. We didn't want to be illegal. It's a military firearm. Okay, detachable magazine, blah, blah, blah. But uh, they actually changed the law so that we could have those. So don't tell me, you know, (laughs) we're not supposed to have guns like the military. Yeah, we are supposed to. And and they don't want us to uh, because it is their plan to keep marching over us, to roll us over. They don't want us ever to fight back. Well, I agree. And you mentioned re-education camps or whatever. You know, they're doing it to people in the workplace now already. This deal of if you say something, whatever, we're going to send you off to some special class or something where you've got to learn how to, you know, be politically correct, for lack of a better term. And they're, uh, I'm surprised. I, I'm, well, we've had judges. You know, you have to go to anger management. You have to do this. You have to do that. It's, it's all part of the same thing. We're going to straighten you out the way we want you. Yep. All right, Chris, thank you. All right. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Up against the clock, quick break. We'll be back to wrap it up on the Zimmer Radio Network. It is 49 minutes after 11. Uh, This breaking news, no classified documents found at Biden's beach home. I would be wondering if the fireplace was lit at any time in the last 24 hours. Just saying, you know, it burned up and and there was no evidence. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I'm just kidding about that. Senator Hawley has gone off the reservation. There are times when I like what he has to say and what he does. But there are times when I don't. And here we go. He has introduced legislation to cap insulin prices at $25 per patient per month. Uh, Insulin was discovered more than 100 years ago, yet too many Americans rely on it, have difficulty paying for it. The price of insulin is straining household budgets at a time when inflation is already squeezing families. So his solution, which sounds very progressive Democrat to me, uh, is uh, to put a cap on it. You can't sell it for more than $25. So this is ridiculous. Look, instead of trying to figure out what's driving up the cost, he's just taken the Bernie Sanders stand that it's greedy pharmaceutical companies. Uh, The excess medical costs associated with diabetes were $9,000 a person in 2017. Based on surveys conducted by the ADA, one in four insulin users report skipping doses or cutting back usage, so he wants to cap it. Well, I would look to government to see if that's where the problem is. Are there rules and regulations that make it more expensive? And what, you know, what can you do to alleviate the rules to free up the market to drive down the price? But here's what's likely to happen. If, as I suspect, government regulations are making it more difficult and expensive to produce, and you put a, a, a cap of $25 on the cost of, of insulin, then... Fewer people will make the insulin because you can't make it at a loss. You simply can't make it at a loss. It'll be harder to get. You got to trust the marketplace. And apparently Senator Hawley doesn't. 
he's he's making a horrible mistake. Holly's bill, the Cap Insulin Prices Act, would uh, set $25 out-of-pocket cap for monthly supply of insulin through private health care plans, reduced to $25 the out-of-pocket cap for monthly supply through Medicare, and prohibit health plans from using prior authorization and uh, step therapy to steer patients to insulin products that are not best for them. This is this is the constitutionalist free market Republican. If you know, you have to jump through all these government hoops, and 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 there's you know, there's more to those government hoops than just the very manufacture of the product. It's COVID nineteen rules and regulations and everything else. It's driving up the cost of manufacture. So now you put a cap on it. Why would you bother making it if it and selling it at twenty five dollars when it costs you thirty or thirty five dollars? Now we've seen the government do this time and again. It's almost always a, 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 some socialist that does it. In fact, the the Congress just did it with uh, prescription drugs. Uh, last year under Biden, you can't put a cap on it. It just drives down the supply. Perhaps, Senator Hawley, you need to take a course in basic economics. You need to understand how the free market works. You need to recognize that the enemy is not the company that makes it. It's the government that interferes with the making of it. You know, and I've told you this before, uh, if you make a product, if a pharmaceutical industry makes a product to get it tested, uh, it costs in excess of a billion dollars. I think the, the number may actually be half what it is. It may be two billion. Think about all the products that they're constantly trying to innovate and create all the billions of dollars that go into the research and development, most of those products never make it to market. And when they do get one that makes it to market, it's got to cover the cost of all that research and development. Government's the problem. It always has been. And what we keep doing, and we do this all the time, we do this with everything from education to healthcare. We, we try a Band-Aid Instead of actually addressing the problem, we try to put a Band-Aid on it. You know, there's this thing that the government did, and it causes that pathology to develop, and we'll respond to that pathology. Instead of getting rid of the government problem that started it, we'll try to find a way to work around it, to make it work. And they're never successful. You've, it really is embarrassing that he did this. And I don't know if he did it for political purposes that he thought it would help him with the left. It won't. Republicans that compromise and do things to placate the left, they, they never get praise from the left. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't, uh, doesn't resonate. But they do it all the time. They keep trying. 
There is a, a, an assertion going around about those Memphis police officers who were charged last week with second-degree murder in the beating of uh, Tyree Nichols. The suggestion is that there was a personal grudge and that that has something to do with what happened to him. My theory is, and always has been, if you're nice to the police, uh, you're going to survive it. There are exceptions to every rule. If it is true, this suggestion that uh, this, uh, this guy, uh, Tyree, was in a relationship with one of the police officer's former girlfriends or or whatever the personal thing, that's what they're suggesting. If that is the case, this is the exception to the rule. It was, in any case, as I argued, an ugly event. It was out of control. It was criminal. And they did deserve to be charged. One last uh, one last thing about that, uh, because I, I, and I try to make this case whenever I can. Unlike just about any other profession, when you encounter a bad apple in law enforcement, it seems everybody wants to paint all law enforcement. Doesn't happen in any other profession that I can think of, but it does with them. Resist that temptation. Because most of those men and women who work in law enforcement will put their lives on the line to protect you. Most of them are really good people. You don't want to paint them with the same broad brush. Uh, once again, I don't know if it's true. I, I, I have no idea. But, but if it is, they're going to court. I don't see much reason to protest. I mean, what are you, you, know, what are you asking for? They're, they're going to court. They're being charged with murder. There's no, there's no protesting because they aren't being, you know, brought to justice. They clearly are. Resist the urge to get violent about that. Uh, tomorrow, 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 Think Tank Thursday. Uh, we've got uh, Kevin Jackson kicking a program off. Jim Babka is going to be with us. Grace Archie. you got to go to uh, YouTube and watch some of those videos. Babka is entertaining. It, it, not really pleasing on the eyes, but he's he's entertaining and he's informative. Uh, and we got a whole scale. The whole show is booked. We have to run. Glenn Beck is up next. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. Seize the day. Carpe diem. Gwen, baby, honey, I'm coming home.